Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who thinks the Washington Wizards are a Harry Potter fan group, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today, I am so happy to have in the red chair Ted Leonsis, who I've known since the dawn of time. He is co-founder of Revolution Growth. He's also a majority owner of several Washington, D.C. sports teams and CEO of Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Most importantly, he spent 13 years as a senior executive at America Online, AOL, which is where I met him and I've known him forever. He's one of my favorite characters on the Internet. He's one of the most uh, inventive and pioneering ones and also one that is one of the more creative ones. Ted, welcome to the show. We're proud of you. You made a nice little career at <laughs> AOL, writing all right. those books. I and, know, all on your backs, yours yeah. and Steve. I have to thank you and Steve for my career. It was a good uh, – we, well. we all did well. We all did well. You guys did a little better than me financially, but I've done okay. Um, but it did all start with you and, and Steve in that small office in uh, Vienna, Virginia. Let's talk about people know who you are. You're really well known in Washington and you've become a famous, you and Mark Cuban are the famous sports owners. And talk a little bit about your background so that people know just a real quick version of it, where you started and how you got into the digital space. Georgetown University. I was a junior at Georgetown, Hoya Saxa, Mm -hmm. and um, had to write a thesis and was really lazy and I went to the library to find the smallest book in the library (laughs) that I could find and it was Old Man in the Sea. Ah, yes. It was a good day. The sun was hot. The water blue. First chapter. I said, this is my kind of book. And I I read it and went to Father Durkin, who was my advisor, and said, I'm going to do something on Hemingway. I started reading all of his work and realized how different Old Man in the Sea, which was written in the 50s, and it really resembled his journalistic work back in Mm -hmm. the 30s. So... Father Durkin, this Jesuit priest, connected me with the one computer scientist on campus. Uh, We had one computer on the entire campus of Georgetown as the registrar's office Mm -hmm. and a linguistics major. And we probably wrote the first algorithm applied in a commercial application. I I input the first 5,000 words of uh, works from the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, and Old Man in the Sea is a control. We had all these measures, and we wow. asked the computer. How did I know this? Go ahead. Keep going. We asked the computer, um, when did Hemingway write Old Man in the Sea? And it said um, 1935, not 1950. Oh, wow. And uh, I'll, ne- I'll honestly never forget Father Durkin saying, um, um, this is the first time that um, – liberal arts and technology have come together. Right. And the proof that you were making was? Well, basically, we were able to say that Hemingway was um, not as successful later in his career and he needed some money. And he he basically wrote Old Man in the Sea as kind of a work of fiction for Esquire magazine Mm -hmm. and turned it into a book. He won the Pulitzer Prize and about a year later, he took his life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it introduced me to computers. Right. And when I graduated, I, I went to a computer company in Lowell, Massachusetts. Which is called, where action was happening then. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Wang Laboratories. Mm-hmm. And Wang was the first populist computing company. Uh, Dr. Wang uh, was attacking IBM and making computer technology accessible to office workers and to women. Right. Um, and I just fell in love early on. This was 1976-1977 and it was really the first generation of um, a liberal arts major who was being introduced to computing. Mm-hmm. And in 1980, I went to uh, West Coast Computer Fair. Mm-hmm. I met Steve Jobs. Um, I bought an Apple II. Mm-hmm. Back then, it wasn't really a computer. You bought a keyboard. keyboard you and bought the pieces a, a, and you put it together, yeah. Uh, I remember buying the instructions for the personal computer um, from a guy who had them in baggies. He was Xerox, <laughs> like a drug deal. I think yeah. I paid five dollars, uh-huh. and so I I just got into the personal computing industry really, really early. Right, and I ended up uh, quitting my job and starting a 
a publishing company. Which was on paper. Which was on paper, although it was a database. Okay. We, we basically became the repository for every piece of software and peripheral uh, for every platform. And mm-hmm. IBM was just introducing the IBM PC. Mm-hmm. I moved to Florida to be close to... That was the Skunk Works where it was? Yeah, it was in Fort Lauderdale and literally watched the PC business be birthed. Um, And then in 1983, uh, Guy Kawasaki and the people at Apple asked me to get involved, and we worked on the launch of the the Macintosh. Mm -hmm. And so just from a very, very early age in entrepreneurial settings, I just got access to East Coast, West Coast uh, personal computing. And I started this company. It was called Redgate Communications. Right. And that was after a gate that you saw of a rich person's house. Yeah, I set off only one day. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of that early work because uh, when I bought this Apple II, I had um, the CPM operating system aside it and two pieces of software. And I just come back from this West Coast computer fair and Dr. Bob Metcalf was talking about networks and Ethernet networks. Mm -hmm. Connected computers. And honestly, I I looked at this Apple II and these programs, and I said, this looks like a television to me. It's this piece of glass, and there's these programs on the side. I, I bet you soon computers, televisions, telephones will be indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. And that there'll be this new media and because everything gets cheaper and faster, the new media will be much more efficient, much more productive, much more friendlier. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to jump in on that. And so I started this company and uh, we merged with Steve Case and America Online. When it was called America Online, not AOL. Yep. We had less – there were – we had less than a million people online. Right. I think there were about two and a half million people online in America. It's amazing. I just saw some stats the other day. Seven billion people yeah. in the world, four and a half billion people now connected. And the U.S. has really fallen behind. I mean, we, Although we the have, saturation is almost complete. Isn't yeah, it? we have 300 million or so internet connections out of 330 million people. Um, and But we represent now less than oh, 10% yeah. of the world's online. I forget, I saw online. 700 million people on WeChat. So I hope, yeah, yeah, I hope this, um, well, we'll talk about this that. podcast yeah. is going outside of the U.S. Yes, we are trying. <laughs> We're trying to go international. I don't know if you've read that, but Vox Media is going international, apparently. So we um, sound old, right? Yeah, when no, you, we don't. You no, we don't, because that. I think one of the things that I've liked about you is you really did see around corners and a lot. Not always... At the right time. I was thinking of some of your city stuff, your early city. <laughs> digital cities. Digital cities. Digital um, cities. Groupon. Groupon when, I, yep. when we did Groupon, I said, oh, this is like digital cities. Right. This is local and social. Super and early. And you also had a shopping portal, if you remember. I built what was the, it called? It was, it was called Two Market. Two Market. That's was right. a, I still have that software. It was a joint venture with my little company in Apple. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really was the first interactive shopping, shopping. mall. Yeah. It was a shopping. It looked like a shopping mall because I covered retail. That's yeah, why I remember it. was 1990. Yeah, exactly. So you were, and then you did a did a, a deal. So the first the, ad, first ad in cyberspace. We're doing podcasts. We, I think we. You did a lot of. We stuff were early. pioneers yeah. there. Um, you had music online at AOL. If you remember, did. you had concerts. We, at we AOL. invented instant messaging. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. We're doing podcasts now, and I mentioned this um, to someone when we were walking inside that. Adam Curry, who's a very, very talented mm-hmm. guy, was one of the first VJs at MTV. I remember him coming to see us at AOL early on and talking mm-hmm. about podcasts. And we eventually bought Spinner. Mm-hmm. And Spinner's mission in life was to everyone can be a radio disc jockey. Everyone right. should be able to self-publish. On the on internet. The, on the internet in an audio fashion. Right, right. And then you did the with Brandon Tartikoff. You did a deal. Like you did. The idea of right now they're doing live streaming with the NSL. You were talking about that. I, I remember talking to you about it. And, well, and you we, were, people were a little bit making fun of you. What do you mean television on the internet kind of thing? Yeah, well, Brandon was a, was a true genius. He was president of NBC and Paramount and 
just the man with the golden gut. Mm-hmm. And um, he came to AOL, I think, in 1994 just to visit and said it just reminded him of television in the 50s. Right. That the stuff was not very sophisticated, but just the promise of the social adoption of the technology. And, you know, television's, I think, 90 years old. I think TV was created in 1928. And, you know, now with your phone – uh, really, a uh, television in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the greatest age for TV. You know, and I looked at Absolutely. that Apple too. I mean, that's really what this is. But the interactivity around it is really what has been the big differentiator. So, talk a little bit more about AOL. What that was like? Because that was a real rocket ship, and then a crash, obviously. But and you were there several different times. You left, and you came. You left, you came, and you came yeah. after it crashed, and we were there before it crashed. If you look back on it. What were some of the attributes and some of the things that you all did wrong there in terms of being early is not a mistake. It just you were early. Well, I think for 12 years, we didn't do much wrong right. at all. We went from um, – So easy to use. No number, No wonder it's oh, number one. Do you remember the, that? The company went public, I think, with a $400 million market cap right. and less than 10 years later had a $150 billion market cap. Mm-hmm. We were the first internet company to go public. And our belief, which proved correct, was that we would make this a social medium and that, that you know, I used to always talk about can Steve Case's mom mm-hmm. use this? Mm-hmm. We, we had to make it accessible to, to everybody. And, I mean, that's why we would get criticized that we yep. were too simple and right. it was too easy to use. But we got America online. You did. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I first got online at – 300 baud. Mm-hmm. Boy, we got to 9,600 baud. You could like start to paint the screen and download a picture, right? Right. You know, now I'm watching live stream games uh, in, in HD on my iPhone. I mean, it's amazing, you know, what's happened. So I, I think what, what happened to our company, we were an access provider. We mm-hmm. got America Online. We right. had a perfect business model. We charged people by the hour and then, and then unlimited later. to get online. And then we were packaging on top of it, not unlike a cable company, content and services. services right. And I look back, I think a couple of the big strategic errors that we made. I mean, the first one was that uh, people loved the AOL interface, the content, how easy it was to maneuver around. Um, remember us being criticized because we were a a walled garden, I think we were mm-hmm. called. Not yep. that Apple today isn't a walled garden right. or Facebook isn't a walled Facebook garden. Facebook is absolutely they, a walled they've garden. They've taken that. I mean, there was this whole argument about um, the walled garden uh, versus the internet. Th- let a thousand flowers bloom. Mm-hmm. And, and we just believe that a bespoke common vernacular, common UI, um, integrating email with messaging, with chat. With and people being part of a community. Very much where so. Where you can get signals from them almost continually. That yeah. data started to come in. I'll, I'll never forget we were walking through the NOC, the AOL uh, Network Operations Center, and you looked up on the board and you said, boy, that ER is going to be a hit. <laughs> uh, and it was because people weren't using yeah, AOL. Yeah, we, we could tell. We, we mapped simultaneous usage. I remember at our peak, we would have 15 million simultaneous mm-hmm. users. Um, it's ironic. I just saw a stat the other day that um, – more people were watching e-gaming in the month of August on Twitch. They were getting 25 million people simultaneously um, to watch. Then we're watching the Summer Olympics on all of the NBC right. channels. Right, right. And, you know, to think that, that that audience of multi-user gaming and now watching other people play multi-user right. Um, gaming could be bigger than network television right. around the Summer Olympics is just mind-blowing. That mind was the blowing. premise back then. You know, Steve talked about it. You talked about it. You you, you guys bragged a lot before before it was so. But you talked about the concept of it and brought in Bob Pittman, who's in, in, you know, in entertainment yep. and the idea of it. What do you think AOL's legacy to people is? Because like, it is was like Facebook. It is like Twitter in a lot of ways. It was like a lot of these pieces. I don't think the history of the internet. It's not. It's now that I own sports teams, mm-hmm. um, which we're going to get to in the next. We session. we talk with reverence about 
former players who led the league in scoring or, or you know, changed the game because of their style of play. In business, it's not like that. Um, the, the memories are very, very short. And what I have found personally is while you can glean lessons from the past, uh, the present is especially because the the people that you're serving are so different. The the kids coming out of college today and the circumstances that they're entering is it's just so different. And so I sometimes I find myself now as an investor almost wanting to lecture somebody about well this is how we did it or this was, the, <laughs> and I realize it it's. Um, I would sound like someone on the Ed Sullivan show, you know, talking about Elvis Presley. That was still pretty and, good. Still pretty yeah, good. But but that it, it's just such a different era. Right. And and honestly, the biggest thing that we did wrong was we we had everyone's credit card. We built a platform and we had two strategic roads to go down. One was to roll up and consolidate the internet. By Amazon, right. by eBay, Yahoo. You tried by a bunch of Yahoo, Google. by Google. We owned, along with Yahoo, I think 8% yeah, of, of Google at the time. Or become a next generation media company. And that was the path that was chosen. We bought Time Warner. And that really, there was friction in the system, mm-hmm. even though the base idea convergence that everything on paper, everything on plastic would become X's and O's and would be delivered on a platform. And if you had everyone's credit card and you could stream things because AOL, frankly, was a private internet, right? Mm-hmm. We we were the original cloud-based service, right? right? right. And, but it was just such a big merger and it became so distracting. And then I give credit to to Google. I mean, I, I did the deal with with Sergey, and we went on the press tour together and he's such a great guy and I remember him saying, um, you know, we, we know our place and we're just going to license you some mm-hmm. search technology yeah, and we're so appreciative. And, and then I wake up one day and basically they took everything we did on AOL, mail, messaging, maps, streaming video. I mean, you just go down yep. the list and they did it better, better, faster, cheaper, and it was free. They didn't have to be dependent on access. Right. And so as the world moved to broadband, we couldn't make that transition. So we bought Time Warner and, and you've worked at big companies. Mm-hmm. You worked at Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. We owned the company. It was called AOL Time Warner. Mm-hmm. Much to the Time Warner chagrin, but go ahead. And all we wanted to do was have AOL as the interface atop of the cable, cable platform. Thing. They wouldn't do it. And we couldn't get the division Those guys. to do it. Yeah. And and when I when I look back now, you just have to laugh to say we owned the company and we couldn't get, get our own employees to do it. That's how tough they you were. You know, years later when they did do that, when they finally combined it, and I go, oh, you finally did what AOL wanted you to do, like way, way too late. It was Everything was gone by then, which was really interesting. Yeah. So let's. we're going to talk in a little bit. We're going to take a break for a second, and then we're going to talk about sports and your investment because after AOL, you were there back and forth a number of times, but you eventually left after it was sold off to Time Warner. I mean, it was sold off and made much smaller. You moved on. So we're going to talk about how you moved on because you really reinvented yourself yet again. Talk a little bit of what happened after AOL. Well, you, be- you became very wealthy, obviously. But what it, it was considered a failure, that merger, at the end. Like, it was a, it's always put up as a disastrous merger of all time, even though in concept it was correct. Sort of like Google Glass. Conceptually, it's right. Yeah. Device-wise, it's wrong. When the merger was announced, um, I... Retired. I, I didn't move to New York, and I bought the sports teams here in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Why? I just love Washington D.C. I went to college here. I just feels like home to me, mm-hmm. and I thought that um, local was going to be where all of the growth was. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe then, and still believe now, that um, you spend eighty 
sense of every dollar 20 miles from your house right. and, and being situated well in a super city, which D.C. was becoming, was important. And two, to be honest, um, I didn't like the idea of the merger simply because I had spent the first 15 years of my career battling against and playing offense against what I, what I considered big, old, dumb companies. Right. And now we owned one, and it really hurt us. You know, they we sure were dumb. Yeah. We, well, we we were we had a young man who invented file sharing for music. It mm-hmm. was called Nutella. I remember. And we launched it. I turned my back. I I didn't show up at the office. Oh, it went out. Yeah. And um, which is how these things go. And then board members and very senior people at Time Warner said, we own the biggest music company in the work. Bring it back. Stop it. I say, can't stop it. It's it's out. Right. Um, we were building an instant messaging. We invented instant messaging. We bought ICQ. We mm-hmm. had this huge footprint and we were building telephony into it. Right. You could have VoIP services and call services. Skype. and Right there. And the cable company had its triple play going. So, well, you can't do that. And so, right. so all of a sudden, we went from being nimble, young, nimble, playing offense to really being a defender. And I didn't like that. Right. And, and so, I, I bought the teams and I bought the building here in D.C. When you say peering around the corner, I didn't think I was buying a hockey team or a basketball team or a building. I really looked at it as if it was a SaaS software and local commerce company. Huh. You look at, at a sports I like how team. you work SaaS in there, but go ahead. Software well, as a service, everybody. Yes, but the key attribute as a business model of SaaS is what's called reoccurring contracted revenue. Right, the people, yeah. And so you look at, at a sports team. That's why Steve Ballmer, by the way, paid $2 billion and thinks he got a steal uh, for the LA Clippers. We have a naming rights deal uh, for 20 years. We have a, a local TV deal with our cable company where, you know, you get ownership equity in it and you get paid fees and there's escalators every year and that's for 15 years. You sell suites in your building and those contracts are for five years. You do sponsorship deals. They're annual, sometimes five-year contracts. Even your season tickets, um, we have good teams. We sell out every game. We renew our season tickets, and we raise the prices annually at 90 to 95%. So from a business model, I said, I I think these teams are undervalued. Um, And so I – invested. And to be honest, it's ended up being one of my best financial investments. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm How do you like the, the moves? We'll talk about your other investments, but in these sports investments, so much of it is digital now. I mean, Twitter just put the NFL on Twitter. Obviously, there's broadcast rights, which are escalating in, in yeah. price. And a lot of them have to do with the digital rights of those. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that as a sports team owner um, so I, and I, the different sports, how they're different. I, I was chairman of the NBA media committee and we did the deal with Turner and with ESPN, and it's a $24 billion deal. And what that deal really cemented was the power of real-time live sports programming. Um, In fact, what's been proven now is that the only thing that a consumer really values uh, as part of the cable video package is sports. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I remember, you know, Seinfeld was on Thursday at, at 9, nine o'clock. o'clock. Appointment TV, must-see TV. Right. Today, nobody does appointment television. Just watch in bulk. Or but you got to watch the baseball game or the basketball game or the in hockey game. They drop the puck at 7.07. Mm-hmm. And, and so consumers will pay for that. And so the the sports programming has become very, very valuable. And it'll continue to grow in value because of what's happening around the data services in sports. We track, we metric everything. And so there's gamification happening. Uh, we, we just made a big investment in DraftKings. Mm-hmm. 
I think just that whole area of not only being able to play a game in a community and make money, the engagement level of what it does to the media, because now you're not just watching the game, you have a rooting interest. And so so ratings and viewership and engagement is enhanced. Uh, we also made a big investment in a fantastic company called Sport Radar. Mm-hmm. And Sport Radar does all of the tracking now for the for the NHL, for um, for NASCAR, for um, tennis, and outside of the U.S., they're a company that's headquartered in Switzerland. Um, they're key players in the gaming and gambling industry. And you just have to look at, you know, jobs are important, education is important, generating taxes are important. And here we have in the United States, say, $100 billion that's being bet in the dark web, Mm -hmm. right, and not being taxed, not being regulated. And we have about $10 billion that's being bet through casinos and the like. And my feeling, my belief is that all of the states, all of the governors, all of the AGs will say this makes no sense. I mean, here yeah, they certainly love to sue. Well, here, here in Washington D.C., you can grow marijuana plants in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. You can smoke marijuana in Washington D.C., but you can't play fantasy gaming. Mm-hmm. You can go three miles into Maryland where they celebrate casinos. You can go drink all you want in that casino. You can gamble all you want, but you can't play fantasy games. So so there's going to be- Where are we in that, in the regu- regulatory? It seems as well, if- Well, New York, which was the bellwether- Of the really, AG efforts. Yeah, really had some issues with fantasy gaming, and gratefully, thankfully, that's all been worked out. And you know, it just came down to- the regulating and the taxing, being able to know who's playing, how much money they're they're putting up, and how much will the states be able to get. And it reminds me a little bit of the whole conversation 20, 30 years ago on lotteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, lotteries have gotten a bad name. I have to remind people the United States government was founded on a lottery system. The reason that Harvard University has the largest endowment of any university in the United States is they held the lottery. That's how they built their dorms and then Mm -hmm. they had XX dollars and they put that into their scholarship – scholarship fund and it's been earning interest since the 60s. We love to gamble here in this country. Yeah, I mean but – but but again, outside of the United States, it's very vibrant it, in it, Britain, everywhere. It, every Starbucks, if you will, I yeah. mean, you go throughout Britain, and every other storefront is you can go in and watch soccer games and and bet, and on. bet on them and have coffee, and it's it's a very communal setting, and it, it's not stigmatized. So, do you feel as if that's almost over? Because I mean, you look at Uber, I, which was being pushed back, and now, of course, is not. Yeah, I think that we're going to see sports and data and gaming and gambling and e-gaming just being the biggest industries around. Then they all converge around these buildings. And, you know, our our building here in Washington, D.C., we get two and a half million people through the turnstiles. It it uplifted a whole community. And, you know, that's the, the other great thing about owning a sports team, you know, the the business is important and mm-hmm. and you know, we'll do great, but if you can win a championship, you're you're now out in the valley mm-hmm. and um you saw firsthand the last two years with the, with Golden, the Golden State, State Warriors. Wars. Absolutely. And although and, I met one and didn't know who that was. <laughs> they were like, I'm this person. I'm like, hmm, what do you do? You're but, very tall. But what Joe like and Peter Guber have been able to do out there was remarkable. And they made for a generation lifelong memories. Mm-hmm. 30 years from now, 40 years from now, fathers, sons, grandchildren, mothers, daughters, friends, that'll be a touch point and an indelible memory. They were there. They were a part of something bigger than themselves. There was a historic moment that was achieved. And 
No, that's so I. So what do you? That's what I want to do. What, I, do you, what do you think about the, the Twitter's recent thing, the, the NFL games, or Yahoo's efforts to do that? How? Where do you see that going? Well, I think Twitter needs to be reimagined. I know a little bit about the the business. Um, if you looked at AIM, the original architecture of AIM. We had a uh, feature called Status Away Messaging, which was 150 characters, and mm-hmm. you'd leave a message up saying, "I'm studying." You know, don't send me an instant message right now. And and you know, I thought they did a good job initially in turning that that platform around and making a publishing platform. I do not think they have done a good job in innovating monitoring the system. It, it does not have a sense of community. It doesn't. Well, what do you think about the sports stuff on it? Would you put your games on that? So, so they, no, because they don't have a subscription business. Mm-hmm. And so because they don't have a subscription business, they can't arbitrage the rights. If you look at what a cable company does, ESPN buys the rights to the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball. And then they resell Mm -hmm. those rights at a big markup to the cable companies as part of a bundle. And then the cable companies build that into your fee. But it all starts with what will a consumer pay, what share of their wallet. So Mm -hmm. ESPN gets $6 a month, I think, some round numbers. And they're in 100 million homes. And that's become the most valuable property in media. ESPN, until the last two years, was really the most profitable mm-hmm. um, business. And and when you own sports teams, you're in the league, you go, how did we let that happen? Right. How, how did we let them Get all the arbitrage value. and be the right. middleman? Right. right? And, and so w- I think what you're seeing now is something like Twitter – you know, they're trying to stream a game mm-hmm. and it'll be an ad model, an ad business. And there's not enough content. It's not like they have every game and mm-hmm. and other leagues. It's the NFL. So I, I view it as a good experiment. But there's something about the magic of watching the game on a big screen and then using your device or your iPad or your laptop and interacting. So I, I, I used I, – I'll watch a game and I'm on my iPhone mm-hmm. Twittering. I don't know how it's going to work on Watching rather it. than looking up and then typing – that now I'm looking down and watching the game. So you don't see an experience where you would sell your games into or to a Google or a Facebook or an Amazon. Well, Amazon is getting into the business. It's it's a very interesting model, right? They're a virtual MSO already. They have Prime. Right. And they're charging you a monthly fee. And now they're adding more services and they'll raise the price. What they've decided to do in sports is rather than make a bundle and have to be good programmers, they're going to offer lots of OTT channels and content mm-hmm. on an a la carte basis. Right, and you can s- buy them. Yeah, so you'll go to a page. And I don't think that's going to work or it's going to get scale. Um, you know, you look at Netflix, which really is probably a once-in-a-generation happening, right, that you would pay $8 or $12 a month for schmuck insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love... I, <laughs> I never thought of Netflix like that. Well, yes, I mean... Think, I saw think, House of Cards. Yes, I did. Well, right? think, think Is that of, what you're saying? No, think, think about the basic offer. It's um, for the price of one movie ticket. Mm-hmm. You get. You can get every movie... That you don't want to see. And you won't watch. Right. And will occasionally come out with some episodic, cool original content. Yeah. Like we were doing at Greenhouse back mm-hmm. in the day at, yeah. at AOL to differentiate. And so I've been paying 8 or $12 a month for why. Netflix for 10 years. Yeah, you don't know why. I can't remember the last time I watched a movie, but it's schmuck insurance and it's hard to cancel. Yeah. And – it's just become a utility. I, right. I want it and I need it. Right. Now, at some point, you would think uh, a Netflix, 
or an apple would become a natural Part partner for sports that and they would want. Why haven't want. they? Um, I think one that's going pretty good right now, and if you get into sports, it's you got to compete with the big incumbents. And right. as I said, ES- of the world, yeah. Yeah, ESPN just paid, gave us a twenty-four NBC. billion dollar deal. You got. NBC, they write really, really big checks. You've got the regional sports But you've got to be thinking of your future customers. Don't you want to be where they want to be? Um, yeah, and that's, that's probably the biggest thing that keeps me up at night. And I don't know why it's not keeping every other owner up at night, right? And you, you, we've grown up together. You mm-hmm. know, I have two mm-hmm. kids. I have two children. They're not children anymore. And I, I saw something remarkable happen. My, my son, who's 27 now, he went to University of Pennsylvania, and my wife and I drove him up his freshman year, and UPenn was wired for cable, and we went to the Best Buy, and we bought a big screen TV, and we put the big screen TV up, and he was big man on campus, and he got to watch the games in D.C. over Slingbox. Mm-hmm. He had his Xbox, and he developed muscle memory, mm-hmm. and when he graduated, he moved back to D.C.'s in a condo, and he's got the big screen TV, and mm-hmm. he's got cable, and, and he subscribes. Mm-hmm. My daughter, three years later, went to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. They don't have cable. They have wireless. I said, sweetie, we're going to buy you a TV just like we did your brother. She said, I have zero interest in a television. I have my iPad. Right. We walked around. We moved her in. There were no TVs in any of the dorms. And so she graduates from Georgetown. She moves to London. She's going to film school. She gets a furnished apartment. There's a TV built into the wall. She doesn't use it. The cable company in London doesn't know that she's there. Right. So you hear all these terms like cord cutters. So what are you scared about as a sports owner? So I'm sold out of all our games. And D.C. has become the number one millennial per capita city in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, kids come to Georgetown. So they like to come to the game. So what about getting more customers? So, so they can't afford tickets because right. I'm sold out. And the only way they can get tickets is on StubHub and right. pay two or three times. Yes, I know, Ted. And then they replicate their dorm experience. They three, four, five kids live in an apartment and they don't get cable. So they can't come to a game. They can't They see can't the game. watch the game, right? The other day I read this article in the New York Times about Vice. I think mm-hmm. Vice and Viceland is the biggest con ever. <laughs> well, because it's a nice it's, house though in well, LA. It's genius, right? Okay. I'm going to make a millennial network for people who can't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz they don't get cable, right? And Yeah, they're on HBO. They're on HBO. So I mean, he'll have to stream and make Viceland available, as yeah. you said, to where the customers are. So yeah. o- OTT is, is, the way is, starting, is starting to happen. Right. And so you have a head sports team thing or are you all band together? Well, I think what will happen is there, there will be this emergence one day of virtual MSOs. Someone's going to have to package up because as a consumer, you're not going to pay Eight ninety five for Netflix and five ninety five for a lacrosse network and right. six ninety five for a women's basketball network. Mm-hmm. Someone will emerge as the who? virtual who? packager. Who? Um, well, some entrepreneur who's smart well, knows you, how Ted, to do marketing. You just have the idea right um, now. But I do think that that young people and their viewing habits have really, really turned the media industry totally upside down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the next generation, they're centennials. Who knows what's going to happen? I said, we'll be paying them yeah. <laughs> to watch. They're going to be reading newspapers. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. But let's talk about what you're investing in. You're also investing in food, in all kinds of different things. You mean food is something that you have to eat yeah. Have to eat every yeah. day? And yeah. so we, we've made big investments in a company that started here for students from Georgetown called Sweetgreen. Mm-hmm. And sweet Salad green. Um, it's more a lifestyle. Okay. It's more healthy living. It's a community, and they're booming. Right. And that'll be a great investment. And you know, who would have thought that like kale mm-hmm. could be more differentiated and valuable <laughs> than social media in yeah. some cases? 
Um, so I, I, I think uh, we, we've invested in a company called Kava, which is like – Oh, um, Kava? Yeah. Like, Ka- wow. Kava is – is Fiji. No, kava is a Mediterranean oh, healthy. Oh, right. Okay, Mediterranean healthy. And then one of our favorite investments is Revolution Foods, mm-hmm. uh, which is headquartered in Oakland, which is healthy school lunches and healthy school snacks founded by these incredibly focused female entrepreneurs who are moms, mm-hmm. who were mad as hell and weren't going to take it anymore. Why are we feeding our kids and making them fat and sleepy in school and giving them tater tots and mm-hmm. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And they've really created kind of a next generation Sodexo or Aramark. Mm-hmm. And and they have a lot of traction. They'll grow really, really I fast. See. And What are you looking for when you look in investments? Because food hacking is a big thing. You saw all the, yeah. the Impossible Burger, Soylent, all we're, kinds of we're, things. We're big, big investors in um, the company called Shinola. Mm-hmm. They also own Filson. They're making real watches, real technology, actually. Well, watches are technology. So th- there's something about this connection between doing good and doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Shinola's founding vision was to bring high-paying manufacturing jobs back to America. Mm-hmm. And they started in Detroit, and you know, we've hired more than 500 people who were laid off by the auto company. Right, exactly. But they knew how to work with glass and leather right. and mechanical things, and they had to be trained. And now they have high-paying jobs with great benefits in and Detroit. stock options, and they're helping to turn – Detroit around. Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers, probably the the hero of our generation for what he's invested in and is doing in mm-hmm. Detroit. Mm-hmm. Tried to buy Yahoo. What did you think of that when he was doing it? Why weren't you in there, Ted? I would have liked to have you, you back. How do you know I wasn't? Were you? Yeah, I was going to work with Dan oh, were you? on that. Yeah, and what happened? Friend. Why didn't you get it? Well, Ted, Verizon, AOL did more. Verizon, irony, no, irony. You, you you reported this once before, but um, we bought at AOL in 1993 the first search company. It was you called did. the Web Crawler. The Web Crawler. And there was a great, great entrepreneur named Brian Pinkerton. And we paid $1 million for it. Mm-hmm. And about nine months later, um, David and Jerry came to see me and Steve. They were being kicked off of the campus. This is Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Of, of Stanford, and they needed to commercialize yeah, Yahoo. Yeah, overusing the servers there. And they wanted, could they rent or be co-hosted because we had the biggest network in the world and would we invest in the company? And we said, well, why don't we just buy you? And they said, how much? And we said, well, Brian Pinkerton, he was one guy, one million. You're two guys, we'll offer you two million. <laughs> And I've remained um, very, very friendly with Jerry. And every time uh-huh. I see him, I go, <laughs> you know, you made such a bad move. You could yeah. have two million bucks. Yeah. And then when Terry Semmel ran it, when Tim Tim Kugel ran it, you know, we would say, my thesis at the time was, he who gets to one billion first will win. Oh. And that the U.S. would become a shrinking part of this overall pie, and that. You know, we were – when I first joined AOL, when AOL acquired my company, we were on the march to a million. March to a million. I remember that. And we had banners and I said, I throw that out. Now we got to be on a march to a billion. And and Yahoo really got its traction when people would cancel AOL mm-hmm. and we wouldn't let them take the AOL front end and mail with them. And so we – we allowed Yahoo Mail and Hotmail at the time because mm-hmm. they to, didn't want to get people to get users. And so I, I just always thought if you're going to be in the media business, that having one platform and we had credit cards so we could get Yahoo and their channels into the subscription business and that you should have one ad sales force and you could manage multiple brands. That's what big media companies do. And it's interesting that, you know, it took all this time and effort and, you know, it, AOL got spun out of Time Warner and went spun public. Then it got way, acquired by back. Verizon. Verizon. And, you know, it still has a reasonable footprint. Both of them together do, certainly. And Tim. Armstrong. Who, who I admire. I mean, I, I really. Ex-Google res- executive. Yeah, I really, I think Tim 
is the most um, ad tech and marketing savvy of all of the executives in the industry. And, you know, Marissa wasn't. Mm -hmm. And she was a product person, if you will. And so I, I do think the merger makes a lot of sense. Um, what would you guys have done with it? Was you going to be your involvement? Thank you for telling me. Well, I, I think what we would have looked at is um, a front end and having to have subscription services that that over-the-top networks, as I said, well, sports. I mean, Yahoo Sports is one of the Excellent. great franchises imaginable. A lot of their financial services, um, you know, that Yahoo didn't do Mint or Betterment or some of these mm -hmm. services. Because they have the lending, the lending and Quicken Loans. And, you know, just being able to turn that global footprint into something meaningful on a local basis. Um, I, I still believe that that local and social and mobile is still untapped. So you had tried that. Let's talk about investments that didn't work. Groupon. Still Groupon's struggling. worked. I mean, Gr dish. Well, I Wasn't mean, what it, it was the story's promised. not the story's yeah. not over. Okay. And and now it's you're a public still company. On the board. Is that right? I've been a vice chairman, chairman, <laughs> lead director, co CEO, whatever yeah. they they need to do it. And I mean, it's a big idea, which was basically um, discounting. Group discounting. Yeah, group discounting. And but now it's really become a local e commerce company. And it's you know a five billion dollar run rate. Um, the the stock is behind the the reality of the company's business model. Um, it has scale and it it went public too early. I mean if you just look yeah. back at yeah, history. There are a lot of people although, who wanted the money. Although you know, I, I wish it was that simple. Um, at the time, if you had more than 500 employees, you I were know. kind of a public company. Right. And we went, I think our first year, the company did, it was a stub year, 30, 35 million. Its first full year, it did 350 million. And the next year, it did a billion two. That's why it was on the cover of Forbes as the fastest growing mm -hmm. company ever. And so we really had no choice. And LinkedIn and Facebook and Groupon were all going public around that same time. Mm -hmm. And we grew globally too fast. When I came in to help and was co-CEO for nine months or so, we were in 70 countries. Mm -hmm. Amazon was in nine. Right. And I just remember being with the senior management team saying, okay, let's name all of the countries <laughs> that we do business in. And badly. <laughs> and they couldn't. We, right. we were in 700 cities. Yep. And no one can manage and get all 70 countries humming with the same playbook and the right. same business model right. and the like. And so the company and Rich Williams, who's the new CEO, have done really, really great and slowing work. it down and making it work. Exactly. And having so now what is it? happy customers. No, I, I'd say it's a local e-commerce e company. Okay. And it has this overlay of being able, if you're um, getting haircuts and getting massages and getting going to your local restaurant, people buy a lot of travel tickets. Right. People buy lots of concert tickets. People buy... That's what uh, it started as, really. Exactly. You know, it had yeah. the heart of it at the heart. So let me finish up by talking about two more things. I'm going to do a lightning round of companies now, and I'd love to yeah. know your thoughts. That's the last thing I want to do. But what if you were an entrepreneur, what is a mistake that you've made that you think you learned from or you didn't learn from or that you would do differently? And what is something you think you do really well? To, these are young entrepreneurs listening, men and women. What would you say where you learned something? Or you don't even have to learn. I just did that wrong. Or, yeah. I, I would say that the present class of entrepreneurs, and I don't want to paint with such mm -hmm. a big brush, but the Silicon Valley uh, unicorn speak with so much conviction and the celebration of grand entrances. Mm -hmm. Let me say, what are you celebrating your entrance for? Mm -hmm. You have to make great products. You have to have happy customers. And then you can have an exit, and that's when you celebrate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened, this, this cabal, if you will, of some media, some bloggers, some venture capitalists in the Koretsu 
mostly in Silicon Valley. And because I am a little bit older, I, I feel like I, I, I lived through the dot-com right. crash. We, we didn't – we walked away from a lot of deals as investors because it was – um, if you think your company's worth five hundred million dollars and we want to make three to five times our money, at some point you'll have to be profitable to go public and be valued at that, and you don't even have a sniff mm-hmm. of what the business model will be. Right. To so get it's there. offensive, and 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 so many people were collecting logos so that they could raise their next fund, mm-hmm. and so what what we did was we said we're going to pursue this rise of the rest strategy Uh that, you know, AOL was in Northern Virginia and Groupon Mm -hmm. was in Chicago and Zipcar was in Boston and some of our best investments, Sweetgreen, Optoro, they're here in D.C. Mm -hmm. Kleiner Perkins from Silicon Valley invested with us in Optoro here in Washington, Mm D.C. And our theory is that maybe there's going to be 10 great companies in in Silicon Valley, um, but that more and more, because the infrastructure, the technology, the lifestyle, I mean, you know better than anyone, trying to get an apartment, trying to deal with yep. the traffic and the quality of life is not great not in great. Silicon Valley. It hasn't been. And the productivity of the second tier companies is, you know, you recruit a VP of engineering. He recruits three people that he worked with. They come to your company. They get settled in. They get recruited 90 days later. I mean, the turnover, yeah. the, the it's, I think, bedlam. And all we want to do is try to find that one great company in Illinois, that right. one – you know, so we've made a couple of investments in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Choose to be a hub. Choose to be, yeah, and but, then up and down. Yeah, we look at at great academic environments, um, environments that have nascent angel networks, and then. Um, All right, but I I want you to do a mistake. What did you do, Ted? That you my biggest you, mistake. Yeah. My biggest mistake, and I I tell entrepreneurs is um, it's great sports uh, phrase that no one knows nothing. And when people were canceling AOL, I said, we need to let them, as a parting gift, take the AOL client with them for free. And some of the world's best consulting firms and data scientists said, you can't do that. Um, look at these top box scores. It'll, it'll drive cannibalization, blah, blah, blah. And instinctively – it just made sense to say we spent all this money getting these people as customers. They love AOL. They hate dial-up access. Right. So let them take AOL with them, and we would have been the front end, if you for will, a lot of for a lot of people. You can't and, know what you and, – And so there it was um, many times the experts, the media, mm-hmm. the – the consultants. You never listen to a word I said. Um, never, they, not once. You have to. You have to. To thine own self be true. And most of the great companies, great entrepreneurs, have been told a hundred times, "You can't do that." Right. Um, I mean, I, I was there at the birth of Amazon. Jeff drove his Volkswagen, came mm-hmm. to AOL, and we did a, a deal early on. And when Amazon was struggling, we gave them. $140 million to keep the company going. They were very important to the internet, very important to AOL. We loved and respected Jeff and what he was trying to do. And and he was counterintuitive. He basically told Wall Street, I'm not going to be driven by EBITDA. I'm right. not going to be driven by quarterly results. I'm going to build a 50-year vision in great company and I'm going to pour all of the profits and all of the cash back into the business. And Now he's looking smart. To thine own self be true. All right. And I'm going to finish up on some things and I want then I want you to end by telling me these are very short answers. Some companies now, what you think of them? Okay. Short answers. Uber. Unbelievable. And Travis is, um, needs to be managed because he's on top of the world, but he has changed everything. It's, it's I think, one of the great companies ever. Airbnb. 
even better. Uh, I'm, I sold the company to American Express and on that board and know what's happening in travel and what consumers are doing and they just superset the entire hospitality industry Absolutely. and Brian is uh, is a saint. He's a beautiful kid. Slack. Um, I don't know if it's a tool or a platform environment. I, I, I think it's um, a generational, not a long-term some, uh-huh. something. Will, Counterintuitive, Ted Leonsis. Uh, yeah. I like that. Um, Snapchat. Snapchat is the first platform that I haven't adopted. And it just shows that I'm old. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. You know, I do my email. I, and, and when I first saw Snapchat, um, I said, oh, I get this. It's like AOL in the old days. It's uh, personal communications. They've done an incredible job in creating stories and narratives and being able to communicate to millennials. They could be the sleeper in being able to do something very, very creative with sports. Ah, wow, that's interesting. I'll just yeah. leave that open-ended. Last one, Apple. And um, I'm only including this. They just launched a new something, yeah, the weird I mean, earbuds. I love Apple. I'm loyal to Apple. Um, you know, the last conversation I had with Steve Jobs, he yelled at me, and rightly so, because we – AOL was Apple Link, and, mm-hmm. we, and that's how we started. And, you know, we had to develop clients, different clients for both Windows and for the Mac. Apple. And, you know, we were an important company at the time, and and Apple had like less than 5% market share, and I had to make a really tough decision. I think it was AOL 4.0. And we didn't do a new client for it. And Steve really yelled at me. And I feel terrible about that decision. It was the right economic decision. Well, he did okay uh, after that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> that iPod, iPhone thing. And, and I love the company. And I'm a family of Apple adopters. The one thing that I, I don't feel good about is jobs are so important in the U.S. And, you know, I'm trying to be a part of this maker community with Shinola and Filson. And Apple needs to start to make some things here. Nike needs to start to make things here. We, we We have to have that social responsibility. Now, it's hard and it You'll take a step back in your business model. I mean, there's a reason that everyone went overseas. They don't pay as much um, and they don't take care of their workers and there aren't unions. And So they need and, to come back to the U.S. But there's hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that, you know, jobs overseas. I mean, just start, bring them back here. start to bring some here. And then the government has to play its part because Apple's got – tens of billions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars of retained profits outside of the U.S. that they've already paid an international tax. And if they bring it here, it'll be um, retaxed. So they'll be paying tax twice. So there's got to be something in policy that could repurpose. Hey, rather than taxing you, use those dollars to build manufacturing plants here and train people here. And you know, that's probably the one thing that's missing right now. Um, Steve Case, you know, I'm really proud of the work that he's done in trying to get a – Government, a smart government. Yeah, and Senator Warner here from Virginia, Mark Would you, was a tech guy. Right, my very last question, yeah. would you run for office seeing the Trump I, – I was already mayor of my town. I I'm, know the, you I'm the only person who, who, was, who was mayor and um, I would not – run for office because it's too slow to effectuate change. You know, this is being here in Washington, D.C. and kind of politics is like sports here. This has been an incredible experience. And, you know, we got another 50 days. And I traveled a lot over the summer outside of the U.S. And it's the first time that people like look at us and it's like a clown show. That's what they they don't really understand. And, and, you know, AOL had its best days 
President Clinton was our president and we got to know um, President Clinton well and Hillary is experienced and and so you know I know that it's the in politic thing to do and I usually do Please vote do. Republican but I I'm I'm going to vote with her. I'm with her I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Well we'll see how that goes. Ted this has been fascinating as usual more to come. I can't wait to see what your next Ted 3.0 is 3 4.0 what are we on now? <laughs> 10.0. Well, it was great to see you. Absolutely and, good to see you. Um, and my biggest mistake was not taking a job with Ted Leonsis. We really. we were trying to get you. I know I would have been very I would have had an island by now at least or something like that. I've turned down every internet mogul so I feel good about that. I feel terrible about that because I would I do a lot of things with all that money. But you're doing some cool things with it. Ted, thanks for coming by and talking to me. And Carrie, you work now for an AOL Yes, executive. I do. Jim Bankoff, Jim, one of your mentorees. Who yes. was my intern. Intern. And, yeah, and he's my boss now. We're really proud of what you guys are building. Thank you. And Recode I, is great. I will tell him so. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Cowboy Ventures founder Aileen Lee, Quip CEO Brett Taylor, and AOL co-founder Steve Case, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.